0: Poetry on Air, with Sheboygan Poet Laureate, Lisa Vihos. Hi, this is Lisa Vihos, and you're listening to Poetry on Air, a program of Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And my guest today is Annalisa Finca. Annalisa is a poet and also on the staff of Mead Public Library, and what a great place to work if you're a poet, right? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. actually, if you're anyone, but <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, Annalise. Thank you. um so let's start out. Tell me a little bit about your your poetry self. How long have you been writing poetry?
1: Um, I've written poetry in a way almost my entire life. I mean, I can look back at um Writing that I've done in elementary school for classes when we were doing that sort of stuff as sort of fun exercises in class. But the first poem that I wrote that was really something that I just wrote for myself and not because anyone had asked me to do it was actually um, my freshman year of college. And it was a poem that was. Born out of frustration with a discussion that we were having in one of the classes that I was in
0: interesting
1: um the title of it is I am Sick of Understanding, so oh, I love that, and, <laughs> and did that did writing the poem help you break through the frustration? yeah, I think so, and also just gave me a sense of maybe as of poetry as a way to work out some of those um emotions or reactions that you're having to the world to work through them.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, let's see. You brought some poems today mm-hmm. that uh, you're going to
1: share. Uh, what did, what's the first one you're going to read for us today? Uh, the first poem that I brought in is called Reconciliation, and it's a short poem by Walt Whitman from a much longer collection of poems called Leaves of Grass. Um, would you like me to go yeah, ahead just and jump start right with it? in right. please? Reconciliation Word over all, beautiful as the sky Beautiful that war and all its deeds of carnage must in time be utterly lost, that the hands of the sisters death and night incessantly softly wash again and ever again this soiled world. For my enemy is dead a man divine as myself is dead I look where he lies white-faced and still in the coffin I draw near I bend down and touch lightly with my lips the white face in the coffin Wow
0: Um it's very well what tell me about
1: what it means to you what what drew you to this I think when I think of Whitman, I often think of really long poems and really long lines. Yeah. And yet, I feel like this poem condenses a lot of the things that he talks about or describes in his other poetry just down almost to its core in a really in a really beautiful way. I mean, I think that the images in it are very concrete and beautiful and the idea behind it, the idea that The way that time moves forward and the fact that people forget the past and eventually die and are themselves forgotten becomes sort of necessary to the way that the world continues to move on is strangely beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was interesting
0: that he would say beautiful that war and all its deeds of carnage must in time be utterly lost. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought about that for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, what was he saying that that we forget,
1: in a way? Yeah, I think, think so. I mean, he uh, is probably writing this, I would guess, not too long after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And he had some experience um, as a nurse in the Civil War. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of his... A lot of his shorter poems, I guess, um, revolve around those experiences. Okay, maybe a little more, or maybe just his later poems. Yeah, and I think that that's probably something that he's really wrestling with—that he believes really strongly in America as a place and as an ideal and as this new land where yourself. Should really be able to express itself, yeah. no matter what it is, mm-hmm. and yet at the same time he's living during a time period when the country is literally split in half, yeah. and and this war is going on. Yeah. It's,
0: well, and also, you know, like you you mentioned that he he focuses quite often on the self, and also on the um, the ways in which we are similar to each other, and I think him saying that this my enemy a man divine as myself is dead so it's sort of it's unfortunate to have to wait till someone is dead to realize that (laughs) that we're all connected yeah but um but yeah that that actually you know I'm ashamed to say I've never read the entire leaves of grass um but you're you inspired me to take the book off my bookshelf (laughs) and um I was touched I one of my Favorite things within the whole collection is "Song of Myself," and I just wanted to, in, in response, maybe to read a little, tiny little, a few little snippets from "Song of Myself" that mm-hmm. really resonate for me. He he starts out, "I celebrate myself and sing myself, and what I assume you shall assume, for every atom belonging to me, as good belongs to you." And I just love that, yeah. you know. And then he then he goes off on. on Many, many pages of (laughs) of stuff. And then and then this is another little section I quite love. He says, I am the poet of the body, and I am the poet of the soul. The pleasures of heaven are with me, and the pains of hell are with me. The first I graft and increase upon myself. The latter I translate into a new tongue. So this notion that, you know, the pleasures of heaven I could increase upon myself, whereas the pains of hell... Oh, I'm going to translate into a new tongue. Yeah. And uh, I just think, you know, it's highly good stuff. And I really appreciate you bringing it
1: well, today. Yes. Did you?
0: When did you first read Leaves of Grass? Or when did you first get connected to it?
1: I think that was also in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, we read it in a literature class that I was taking that was about transcendentalism. So okay. we read Emerson and Thoreau and Whitman. And I... Was just blown away by it. I mean, I think that um, "Song of Myself" is probably one of the greatest poems ever written in America. I just I think love you're it right. so much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's look at what else you brought. Um, yeah, what's the the second poem that you brought to share?
1: Okay. So um, the second poem is, and I have to apologize because I'm almost certainly going to pronounce the poet's name incorrectly. Um, it's a Polish name. Okay. Uh, so the poet's name is Zbigniew Herbert. Sound good I to think. me. I <laughs> think. <laughs> um, And he has this whole series of poems around this Uh, character or narrator that he's created called Mr. Cogito and this one is called Mr. Cogito and the Imagination 1 Mr. Cogito never trusted tricks of the imagination the piano at the top of the Alps played false concerts for him he didn't appreciate labyrinths the sphinx filled him with loathing he lived in a house with no basement without mirrors or dialectics Jungles of tangled images were not his home. He would rarely soar on the wings of a metaphor, and then he fell like Icarus into the embrace of the Great Mother. He adored tautologies, explanations, idem per idem. that a bird is a bird, slavery means slavery, a knife is a knife, death remains death. He loved the flat horizon, a straight line, the gravity of the earth. 2. Mr. Cogito will be numbered among the species minores. He will accept indifferently the verdict of future scholars of the letter. He used the imagination for entirely different purposes. He wanted to make it an instrument of compassion. He wanted to understand to the very end Pascal's night, the nature of a diamond, the melancholy of the prophets, Achilles' wrath, the madness of those who kill, the dreams of Mary Stuart, Neanderthal fear, the despair of the last Aztecs, Nietzsche's long death throes, the joy of the painter of Lascaux, the rise and fall of an oak, the rise and fall of Rome. And so to bring the dead back to life, to preserve the covenant. Mr. Cogito's imagination has the motion of a pendulum. It crosses with precision from suffering to suffering. There is no place in it for the artificial fires of poetry. He would like to remain faithful to uncertain clarity. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot
0: going on here. Yeah. And I love that it's, there's something about it, it's very philosophical. Mm -hmm. And he mentions a lot of philosophers and...
1: And tell me, for you, what what drew you to this poem? I have not read the entire series of his Mr. Kajuto poems, but the ones that I have read, I've really liked all of them. And I thought this one would be a nice one to bring into the show, I suppose, because it deals with, um, with art and with poetry and, and what he sees as the role of poetry, at least for him as a poet. And I am very attracted to that idea that what he's doing is not trying to use poetry to create something complicated or to, you know, build a labyrinth, as it mentions in the poem, but to try to get at something clear, even if that clarity has to be uncertain because they're very difficult things that he's dealing with. Yeah. He really wants to, um, get at something real and true and not just, uh, something that sounds interesting. Yeah. The, the truth is the more important thing.
0: Yeah. I, I, especially it, he started to grab me when he said, um, that Mr. Kojito used the imagination for entirely different purposes. He wanted to make it an instrument of compassion. Yeah. And that, I thought, was quite interesting. And then that that kind of laundry list of these different things that he wanted to understand. And each one had a kind of uh, a struggle in it. I mean, not not everyone, but the words like melancholy, wrath, mm-hmm. madness, fear, despair, long death. You know, but then sort of peppered in there is the joy of the painter of Lascaux mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. sort of this whole array, the spectrum of all the things that are and and that it's so historical you know it, it, yeah. it I just found it fascinating it, I was excited. How did you
1: first discover um
0: herbert's poetry?
1: I think that it was probably uh my dad who introduced me to really him, who, oh wonderful who um majored in. English had a degree in English and really loved poetry although he wasn't a writer himself Um, so he would often and then even more often after he retired just buy books of poetry and read them and whenever he ran across something that he liked and this could be you know multiple times a day he would type it up onto his computer and just email it out to you know everybody that he knew basically nice
0: that's what we do with poetry right yeah we share it yeah that's wonderful thank you for that Mm mm-hmm This is Lisa Vijos, and we're back with Poetry on Air, and my guest today, Annalisa Finke. And Annalisa, you're going to share some of your own work, Mm -hmm. so let's hear the
1: first poem that you brought, that you wrote. All right. Um, This is a fairly recent poem. I actually wrote this back in January, and it's called Lake Michigan. Beautiful iceberg scar across the land. Love is always dangerous and deep. One moment, your toes are curled in cool sand, the sun warming your forehead. Then, without warning, the current comes. It's no use trying to swim back to shore. Whatever strength you thought you had, this requires a different kind. To see safety and not reach for it. To strike out instead along the coast, deep waters and the sight of land. Hope and fear and exhilaration curled up together in your chest. If you are the kind of person who falls in love with a scar,
0: That's mm. beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um. What? Um. How did the notion? What made you think to, to view it as a scar? Like the that that scar, concept.
1: It actually goes back to college again. I feel okay. like I keep mentioning college. <laughs> okay. It was clearly. Hey, a
0: lot of things happened to us in yeah, college. It's yeah. a time when we wake up.
1: Um, although I majored in literature and creative writing, there were obviously base classes that everyone had to take. And science was one of them. We had to take science credits. And I decided to sign up for a geography slash geology course. Okay. I To be honest, I basically signed up for it because it was the science class that didn't have a lab. (laughs) Got it. Um, But it actually turned out I had a wonderful teacher. It was a really fascinating class. And the end project in that class um, was to do something on a portion of the country and what sort of – geological forces had formed it and uh this college was in massachusetts but being from michigan originally i decided to do it on michigan and on the great lakes okay and so i think i always have that idea in my head now of how all of the landscape around michigan and around the great lakes was formed by the the ice coming down and then retreating and just how how beautiful the country around here is because of that and, yeah. and sort of unique as well
0: that's really what a great uh, genesis for the 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 thought that went into getting to this place <laughs> I love it and um, and I thought I would take the liberty to share a poem that I wrote about Lake Michigan and it's actually really more about my father but it takes place at Lake Michigan <laughs> and Mich- the lake becomes a metaphor in a, in a different way so mm-hmm. I thought I would respond to your yeah. poem This poem is called Memory of My Father at the Lake. We were nearing the end of you. You knew it. I knew it. But it was not something we talked about. We came down to this very shore with sandwiches and a couple beers. Looking out at the lake, you said, let's make one more road trip. Knowing this would never happen, I said, yes, let's do it. Now it is sunrise and you, seven years gone, the lake calls me to remember gently undulates on and on an immense liquid mirror of the sky delivering a bridge to the sun reflecting you and me and all of creation in the wave of its hand mm. that's <laughs> wonderful thank you i but i and i loved putting the two of them together just because i liked this notion of this scar you know and this this place where you can be in you know just engulfed in in the beauty, but also where how did it get there? you mm-hmm. know, and where did that mm-hmm. come from that's that's how I looked at your poem and then and then, in mine, there was this image of the the lake being like a mirror of the sky, and anyway, to me, there was some sort of yin yang thing going on. <laughs> and I just I wanted to share that. Um,
1: let's have you go. what's the next poem that you brought? Um, I've got a poem here called "The End of Summer." We're sort of moving backwards in time here. This okay. is, this is <laughs> one that I wrote back in November, which is a little bit past the end of summer for this part of Wisconsin. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it was the end. summer was over. <laughs>
1: yes, very much so. <laughs> okay, the end of summer. And how to make sure the rains come. Huddled in our rooms, how to make sure the sun rises like yesterday. The earth circles like last year. If you are told, this much death is what life requires, this much air breathed out and never back in, this many bodies stacked like cordwood, so much smoke and ash blown away on the wind, never mind, don't answer. The air fills with smoke, the sun rises. Breath rises up towards heaven, the earth spins around the sun. The rain falls on all of us, We call ourselves clean. Mm. That
0: is so beautiful. And I asked you about this before. When Mm -hmm. I read the poem, I I was immediately thinking of of our time now in COVID Mm -hmm. and huddling. It was huddled huddled in our rooms that first gave me the clue that this might be a poem from pandemic time. And um, it's just very uh, gripping. You know, the the image of this many bodies stacked like cordwood and you really touched upon that kind of feeling of, of um, the isolation and what's going on around us. And just that feeling that, you know, hey, the rain's going to fall on all of us and we'll call ourselves clean. <laughs> but are we really okay? We don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how how it came for you to write this poem like you're we were all in the
1: pandemic but tell me about your experience and what brought out the poem sure um I think that I spent a lot of time over the course of the pandemic thinking about um the idea of sacrifice Mm -hmm. and what we are willing to sacrifice and what we expect to get in return for it Mm um which is where the beginning image of this comes from which is just that very old idea of something has to be sacrificed mm-hmm. to ensure that the world keeps going oh right how to make sure the rains come yeah yeah um mm.
0: yeah because how to make sure the sun rises like yesterday how to you know how to make sure that the earth circles like last year we we feel like everything went into not sure like yeah. everything became uncertain and it's still a little bit that way yeah yeah <laughs> well it's a beautiful poem thank you um as I read it too i um a, a week or so ago I shared some poems um on poetry on air from a book called sheltering with poems it's a whole book of poems that poets wrote about the pandemic experience and i There's one in here that I wanted to read as a a little bit of response to yours because of some Mm -hmm. of the the imagery. Hear hear what you think of this poem. It's it's called Sheltering, and it's by a poet in Madison named Jesse Lee Kercheval. Sheltering. This is the hour when the sun comes back. This is the hour, the sun. This hour, this sun. This hour is this sun. Open the shades, open the window. Let us see this hour, this sun. When this sun is here, where are the people? Where are the people you know, the people you love, the neighbors, the strangers? Inside, somewhere. You know where you are. You are not going anywhere except bed, sofa, kitchen. Soon you will take a shower. Now across the street behind that empty office building, flame, fire, sun, and birds. Hmm. I just thought it was so interesting that yeah. she mentioned soon you will take a shower, <laughs> and I thought that, that to me that kind of connected back to your poem. But yeah, yeah, I mean, read. this is the wonderful thing. I love reading poems and then thinking about what other poems kind of speak speak to them. Mm-hmm. It's always a fun exercise for me to do that. Um, so, let's see. Let's have you um, actually. Well, before we before we go on to the to your third poem, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about how you set out. What's your writing practice like? Do you write every day?
1: <laughs> what do you do? Um, my my writing practice is less than it should be. <laughs> we
0: all poets say that. Yeah, maybe a lot of us do.
1: Um, there are periods where I manage to write every day mm-hmm. or almost every day um the lockdown was actually quite good <laughs> for that yes, in it a was. way it was but uh it's become much more sporadic you know since since that's ended and things have been going on and then you know there's work and there's yeah. taking care of just the day-to-day things that you have to take care of and i don't I think, carve out as much space for poetry as I probably should. Mm.
0: Well, what what would be ideal for you? To write every day? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Or so, to, a, to at least work on poetry every day. Yeah. If, if sometimes it's going back and looking at older stuff and yes. revising it, I think I would count that, too. I would I feel would good too. about that.
0: <laughs> Even reading poems, like reading some poems and yeah. getting a little inspired yeah. or – or researching something that I want to write about, like, mm-hmm. like a topic or a th- I do that a little bit sometimes, like just read about something that's, read about stars. Like I'm thinking about stars right now. What do I, what, because it's almost like you need like a well of words and mm-hmm. ideas. Um, I do. I speak no, for No, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. But, yeah. um, but like when you mentioned taking the geology class, you mm-hmm. know, that there was suddenly this new world opened up mm-hmm. and, and from that years later a poem came, right? Yeah. And or probably many poems. Um, but I hear what you're saying about wanting to make that commitment to write every day. It can be done even, you know, I, I sometimes think, well, it doesn't have to be an hour of writing, maybe do 10 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) I encourage you to, because you're a wonderful poet. So (laughs) keep writing. Um, absolutely. And, and, um, I think you have one more poem we we're going to share today. What else mm-hmm. did you bring?
1: All right, we're continuing the theme of moving backwards in time. Okay, because uh, this one is is from last April. So this was actually from that lockdown period where I was finally being good about <laughs> getting some work done every day. Wonderful. And this one is called "Wherever You Are." Look, wherever you are, look out the window. Please let there be a window. At the sky, at something green if you can find it. This world can't exist just to grind us down. I refuse to believe it. And if I'm wrong, at least let me be ground down, not by concrete and rulers. Let me be crushed under the weight of a mountain, the sight of a storm and the towering lightning-cracked redwood. Hmm. That's beautiful.
0: Thank you. Let- let me be crushed under the weight of a mountain. <laughs> Tell me, so um, where, how did this poem come to you?
1: Um, r- really literally from looking out the window yeah. in my apartment. Okay. And I think contrasting that with, uh, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in northern Michigan, which I should clarify because, people outside Michigan don't always understand this, is not the Upper Peninsula. It's the northern part of the Lower Peninsula. Okay. But it's similar in a lot of ways. It's it's incredibly rural and mm-hmm. forested. You know, I, it was about 30 miles to the nearest town and post office and hospital and grocery store and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It was the middle of the woods. And so I'm very used to that sort of surroundings, I guess, where there's... Mm-hmm. Wherever you look, there's nature. Yeah. And I live in Sheboygan now, and I like my apartment a lot, but it does not have a view out the window. It, ha- it has a view of the bricks of the building across the alley. So yeah. um, just but- the idea that if if there's something out there that's going to be bigger than I am... I don't believe that it's the buildings that we build. Mm. It's, it's the mountain instead, I guess. I don't know.
0: <laughs> that makes perfect sense. That's beautiful. Thank you so
1: much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.
0: You have been listening to Poetry on Air, hosted by Sheboygan's Poet Laureate, Lisa Vios. Questions or comments can be directed to Lisa at poetlaureatesheboygan at gmail.com. Poetry on Air is produced in the studios at Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. More information on the web at meadpl.org.